Good evening, church. Today's scripture reading is taken from Nehemiah 10, verses 28 to 39. Nehemiah 10, verses 28 to 39. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feast, the holy things, and the sin of offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord, also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithes, the tithe of the tithes, to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers 
and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Auntie Charlotte. Good afternoon. Uh, I see some new faces around. Welcome to All Saints English. Maybe your face is new to me because I haven't seen you before because I'm usually with the youth upstairs. Um, I'm Joseph. I'm the youth pastor here. I bring greetings from Pastor Darren as well, um, who is here. Let's just pray as we come together today. God, we thank you for this time that we have. We just pray that as we continue in this series on Nehemiah, that Lord, you speak into our lives, that Lord, you allow us to just learn what it means to become a community that is committed to you, to learn what it means to love you in all our lives, to learn what it means to be surrendered to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In life, we all make commitments, right? And, and we make commitments of varying degrees. We agree to meet someone for a meal, we arrange a work meeting, we go out with our friends, and we then, along the way, we make bigger commitments, right? Like volunteering somewhere, buying a car, getting on board with an insurance plan, purchasing a house, and then we make the bigger life commitments like marriage, parenthood, and to disciple someone. And the Bible is not shy about the need for commitment, right? We hear verses like, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me. There shall be no other gods before me. Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. See, commitment is an inevitable call of our lives of discipleship. Yet it's something that, that sometimes it comes across as almost being cliche because we hear it over and over again. In fact, we hear it so often that it, of, that it can sometimes come across as legalistic. It can sometimes come across as some rule that we have to follow. So before we dive into Nehemiah chapter 10 and look at what commitment means, I thought it would be good for us to take a step back and frame commitment in light of the gospel. See, the biggest commitment that anyone has ever made is not from us to God, but from God to us. And that is the very foundation of the gospel. Because if we were to live by only what we do, we would fail. We would be condemned. Right? Paul tells us in Romans that by the law, we would, we would all be judged guilty. For it is only those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. But in seeing our weakness, knowing that we alone will fail, God commits to send His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Now we know that verse that says that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And by the blood of Christ, all who believe in Him and confess in His name, He gives the right to become a child of God. This is God's ultimate commitment to us. Or as the book of Hebrews puts it, this is the new and better covenant that we enter in by the blood of Christ. And the beauty of the new covenant is that God is the initiator. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. God is the one who says, I will establish a new covenant. God is the one who says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. God says, I will. And when the initiative comes from God, that frees us from the burdens of this world that says you need to earn what you get. That the covenant that we enter into, because it comes from God, it frees us from needing to prove ourselves. But this does not remove the fact 
that we have to, that we have a commitment to make. You see, the grace that God gives us, the grace that He pours into our life, is not licensed to sin, right? Instead, instead, this commitment that we talk about, it's not about proving ourselves, but it's instead about surrender. It is instead about how we respond to the grace that God has given. It is about how we decide to respond to how God has loves, to how God loves us. If we could put it into an analogy, I wanted to put someone here with it. I used this analogy in cell recently, but follow along with me. Imagine someone here is standing here and wrapped around him, right, is a rope. Just imagine those thick, thick, thick ropes that are just wrapped around the whole person like a cocoon. Okay, and then at the end of the rope, someone takes a padlock and locks that rope tight. That rope that surrounds and ensnares that person is representative of sin. And when Christ died on the cross, he broke that lock. He broke that lock. He allowed us to be free. But the rope is still around us. And God in his love, as he brings us into his covenant, he is changing us from glory to glory. He is changing us and molding us. And he is the one that is slowly removing the rope around us. And so our response is not about proving ourselves in light of what God has done. Our response is do we move along with God that the rope comes off or do we decide to just struggle? And God still tries to do the work. He still desires to make us holy. But we are there struggling against the rope, against sin that is around us. That is the frame of response. So this response, this commitment to the Lord, is not about proving ourselves, but this commitment to the Lord is simple surrender to what Christ desires to do in our life. This commitment to the Lord is surrender to the process, to the sanctification that Christ wants to bring us through. And I thought that was an important way to think about commitment in terms of our surrender to God, not in terms of how the world sees it, like prove yourself, but in terms of our surrender as we enter Nehemiah chapter 10. Because in Nehemiah chapter 10, as Auntie Charlotte read earlier, there was a whole commitment made to the Lord. And this commitment was made in light of how God had brought them out of exile. He provided for them as they rebuilt the wall, and now they were responding to God's goodness. They were responding to God's grace. They were responding to what God had done, and they were renewing their commitment to Him. So there are three dynamics <laughs> that we are going to look at. In verse 28, we see the breadth of commitment, how wide it was. Then in verse 29, sorry, in verse 29, we see the depth of commitment. We see how deep their commitment was. And then they started to get specific in the rest of the chapter. They, it start, they started to specify exactly what this commitment looked like. In other words, they took ownership of their commitment. So we look at the breath of commitment in verse 28. The breath meaning that everyone committed. Verse 28 says this, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land of the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. There are two ideas that we'll zoom into here. 
first to see that everyone committed. Everyone committed. The first 27 verses of this chapter that we didn't read earlier are a list of names of people who sealed the covenant. But those names were not just were not the names of everyone there. They could be seen as perhaps representatives of the family. They could be seen perhaps as the leaders. But it did not mean that the rest of the people were exempt from it. It was not the case that the rest of the people left the leadership to do their own thing. Instead, in response to what they had seen and what they had received from God, they responded in tandem with the leadership. And we know this by that opening phrase, the rest of the people, and by that phrase, all who have knowledge and understanding. That it was not a commitment simply made by the leadership. It was not a commitment made by all those who were in charge alone, but it was a commitment they made together. In the Bible Speaks Today, it describes it like this. This commitment was not a vague statement, formally assented to, meaning subscribed to, by a vast and nameless crowd but one which was signed by responsible people who before they added their name and personal seals had ensured that, they that, they represent, that those they represented shared their determination to please God by honouring and obeying His word. In other words, there is a lesson here for both, of, for both those of us who lead and those of us who are in the congregation. That as a leadership, Yes, those of us who are in leadership positions, we must seek the Lord and receive the Lord's vision, and we have a role to play to rally the congregation to the vision. But like that saying goes that it takes two hands to clap, and any vision can only be put into motion when everyone sees that the leadership is God-appointed, they trust that the vision is God-given. And as such, both leaders and the people can then run together to surrender to the vision that the Lord has put in front of them and find their role in it. Because when verse 28 says, the rest of the people, that as much as this commitment was made by the whole community, it was equally personal. This commitment was personal in that everyone in the community had set their minds to it. But the important thing that is that it was personal, but it was not individualistic. It was a personal commitment that every individual made, but it was not, you do what you want to do, I do what I want to do. No, it was everyone saying, we have seen what the Lord has done. I want to respond to what the Lord is doing. I am making that commitment myself. And therefore, I look around and I see that everyone is making that same commitment. And in that alignment, they surrendered to God. Gary V. Smith, a professor of Christian studies at Union, at Union University, points this out. In this covenant renewal ceremony, the people decided not just to say that they were sorry for their past sins or they would try to do better at following God's covenant instructions in the future. These believers wanted to challenge one another with a deeper and firmer commitment of faithfulness to God on a few key issues that were of central importance to the community. And as we think about what this means for us as a community, 
The challenge is for us. Can we see ourselves becoming like this community of commitment in Nehemiah? How beautiful would it be if every one of us here responded to what the Lord had done in our lives and made an individual commitment, a personal commitment, and each of us in that alignment made that same commitment as a community. To get there, it requires us to reflect on two levels. Personally, do we see that commitment is proper response to what God has done? That it's not about who we are, it's not about what we think our strengths and our weaknesses are, but it is about how we are responding to the grace of God. And on that note, do we then need a gospel refresh? Do we then need to see anew, to be reminded of His great love for us, such that we will be willing to commit the same? And then on a community level, do we look around and be willing to challenge each other to do the same? That was the breath of commitment in Nehemiah chapter 10 where the whole community made personal commitments, but they made it as one. Then we look at the depth of commitment. We'll see that their commitment to the Lord was wholehearted. It was not wishy-washy. It was not halfway. It was deep. Verse 29 says this, They joined with their brothers, their nobles, and entered into a, into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of, of the Lord our Lord and His rules and His statutes. That such was the seriousness of their intention to walk with God, that they did not just enter into an oath, they entered into a curse and an oath to God. Anglican scholar John Golden Gay puts it this way, the oath is a solemn promise made in God's name. The curse is a prayer for trouble to come on them if they fail to keep their pledge. This is not them saying that they were perfect. In fact, as we're going to check out in Nehemiah chapter 13 next week, they broke every single thing that they committed to God. But I'll leave us and we'll talk about that. But such was their commitment and their seriousness to God that they so wanted to have nothing else to do with the world that they said, God, I not only promise and I not only will endeavor to live the way you want me to live, if I don't, Lord, come and punish me. In fact, I love the nickname that John Goldingay gave to this chapter in his commentary. You know the phrase, put your money where your mouth is? He made a pun on it. He labelled this chapter, put your life where your mouth is. That was the depth of their response to the Lord. Remember, remember that how all this started in last week's sermon, back in chapter 9, in verse 38. They had thought about how God had brought them through. They thought about the faithfulness of God. They thought about who God was. And they wrote, because, and at the end of that chapter, it says, because of all this, we make a covenant, in, uh, we make a firm covenant in writing. 
And here, the interesting thing is on that word covenant. Because it's translated in the English as covenant, but in the Hebrew, there's a different word for this word that is translated covenant than for the previous two times in chapter 9 that another word for covenant was used. And the previous two times, that word is the more typical word that they use for covenant. And the reason why they wanted to change the word here, even though it's translated in English as covenant, is because they wanted to distinguish between the covenant that God made with his people against what is our firm response to what God had done. Because the previous two times in chapter 9 when the word covenant is used, it refers to the word that to the covenant that God made with them. But this was their firm, solemn response to God. And it recognizes that this commitment was proper response. Put in another way, it is an acknowledgement that the life that they desired to live was not about them earning salvation, but it was in response to salvation that they so wanted to honour God for who He was and for what He had done, that they committed not only to say that they would endeavour to follow and carry out His commands all the days of their life, but that they wanted it to be that if they don't, may judgment come on them to remind them of the need to stay in the grace of God. This was the level of commitment that the community made. And the second part of verse 29 points this out. It was to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord. It wasn't a vague declaration of, yes, I love God, but it was actual surrender. It was actual surrender to say that, Lord, I want to follow you and what you desire. We must all be challenged to recognize that this Christian life it's not about subscribing to a set of beliefs. It's not about making sure that we know about a number of truths, but it is committing ourselves to a way of life. As one scholar writes, in biblical teaching, doctrine and deeds are inseparable. Belief affects behavior. Put a little more bluntly, if we say we believe in God, if we say we are God's children, if we say we are made in the image of God, but the way that we live our life does not set us apart from the rest of the world, the question is, do we really believe? Recently, I was having a conversation with someone about Pastor Darren's previous sermon on Nehemiah chapter 8 about not only hearing but applying the word. And this person pointed out something very true. That very often the reason we don't apply it is because we have, not, we have lost sight of who the Lord is. We have lost the fear of the Lord. If I could rephrase that, very often we don't apply it because we have not yet seen God. Because we forget who is this God that we are worshipping. And remembering who is this God is what is going to trigger that change in us as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
our lives change and we change not by some volition to change ourselves. Yes, we need to make a decision, but that decision is not about I will change myself. It's about surrendering to God. It's about contemplating, remembering, beholding who God is in our life. And that, when we look at something and we, we are caught in awe, we will be changed with ever-increasing glory to become like Him. For the Israelites, their belief was reflected in their commitment to the lifestyle that God had called them to. It was reflected in their desire to see God glorified. Is it the same for us? That was their depth of commitment. And this depth was then expressed in ownership. It was expressed in making the commitment their own. Because very often the easy thing is the very beginning. The easy thing is to say yes, but the difficult part is, leaving, is living that out. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. In broad strokes, the Israelites took ownership of what they were going to do, of what commitment looked like in two buckets, to do, don't do and to do, to don't do and to do. Verse 30 and 31 say this, We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. The commitment can be seen here in the two we will nots. The first says, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. The principle here is about being set apart for the Lord. The principle here is about being set apart for the Lord. And that's not just individually, that's the whole people. <laughs> and in that, they recognize the importance of family the importance of being a community set apart for God. And they saw that any influences from outside the faith will only go to erode the spiritual health of their community. They saw that any influence from outside could not only corrupt them individually, but it could corrupt their whole community. And in the historical setting of the time, Nehemiah and those that lived in his age had already seen what would happen when an Israelite marries someone who is committed to worshipping other gods. There was almost naturally over time a corruption and a danger to the faith that the people held in Christ. And yes, of course, we take different journeys and we come back to Christ at different times we know the Lord at different times in our life, perhaps after already being in a relationship, back, yes, we can trust God to redeem. And, but we should play that role to continue to pray for the salvation of our loved ones. But let's not forget this principle, that a commitment to God means a willingness to stand firm to protect our faith. It means a willingness to say no to the things of this world. It means a willingness to be set apart for the Lord. The second we will not, says we will not 
buy from them on the Sabbath. In other words, they recognized that while the law may not explicitly prohibit them from buying on the Sabbath, they saw that by doing so, they were not adhering to the heart of the law. So the principle is about a day being set apart for the Lord. The principle is about a day being set apart for the Lord. And what does this day look like? Very often it would look like rest. It would look like an extended time with God. In fact, our Sabbath should include our weekly coming to church, whether that is now or that would be tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. And that's important because what does the Sabbath represent? First, we recognize that it was a rhythm that God himself set in the Bible. He created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And when we take that time to rest, we can think about it in a few ways. One, it is an act of surrender. It is recognizing that God is in control. Two, it is an acknowledgement of our limitations that we need to rest. See, when we constantly work, we are in some way saying that we are stronger than God. If God himself rested on the seventh day, when we don't do that, what does it say? And in some ways, it can also be a form of witness. When this whole world wants to work and work and work and work, say we are resting. Why? Because we trust in the Lord. And that whole thing reminds us that what we are entering into our whole Christian lives are pointed towards an eternal rest in Christ. So the application is about basically a 24-hour period that we take to rest and we take to spend time with the Lord. It doesn't need to be a calendar day. Perhaps it can be 5 p.m. on Saturday. It starts with service and it ends on 5 p.m. on Sunday. The practicalities we can go and work out. But the idea is that we commit to this rhythm that God has put forward. So we will not give our daughters, we will not buy on the Sabbath, and then they said, we will. Verse 32, we take on ourselves the obligation for the service of the house of the Lord. We see here specifically that the Israelites became concerned with the house of the Lord, with the physical place that they worship God. That's not to say that worship doesn't happen in the rest of our lives or that the rest of our lives are not worshiped unto God, but they recognized that there was a special place in the order of worship, in the ecosystem of worship that belonged to the physical place where they worshiped God. And to this they made it their responsibility to see God glorified by supporting the work, the work of the house. When they gave a third of a part of shekel, a third part of a shekel, sorry, for the service of the house of God. And this contribution allowed those serving in the house of the Lord, the Levites, to acquire the things required for worship. The showbread, the grain offering, the burnt offering, and so on, as we'll see in the chapter. So in that way, we see them taking responsibility for the Lord's house. Our application is simple. It's about tithe and service. It's about tithing, remembering our tithe to God, 
and serving in the Lord's house. That's what they committed themselves to do. The other idea, I love that it says we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of the ground and the first fruit of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. They dedicated themselves to bringing the first fruit. The first. Not the leftover, the first. In other words, they would always endeavor to give God their best. What can that look like practically? Perhaps we need to look at our schedules and arrange just that God gets the best of our time. God gets the first fruit. The principle and the application is about giving our best to the Lord. And so in these two simple points alone, reflecting on them should challenge the way that we carry ourselves. What are the things that we need to not do or perhaps to stop doing to guard our lives for Christ, to recognize that we are a people called to be set apart for God? And equally, what are the things that we need to start doing? What are the things that we need to recommit ourselves to so that the lives that we live are conforming more and more day by day to the pattern of change that God is bringing us into, are conforming more and more day by day to what the Lord wants to do in our lives. That's what it means to take ownership of commitment. In other words, Nehemiah 10 paints a beautiful picture. It paints a picture not of just individuals, but of a community. A community that began by reflecting and seeing what God had done in their lives. And out of response to seeing what God had done in their lives, out of response to seeing, what, to seeing the grace of God that was at work in their lives, they decided to give their all. They decided to commit. It was a commitment that was made personally, but everyone in the community did it. It was a commitment that was made at debt. And it was a commitment that they took ownership of. All Saints, it's our desire to be such a community. It's our desire to surrender in that way to the Lord. We can spend all the time that we want thinking about the leadership should do this and the leadership should do that. And we will say automatically that we as a leadership are not perfect. But the question that we need to ask ourselves is simply what is God calling us to? Do we see what God is calling us to? Do we see the work, the grace that is already at work in our midst? Do we see God's hand at work all throughout our community? Carl shared about Isaiah and Dean earlier the baptisms that we have celebrated this year, are we willing to respond to what God has done and surrender and become and rise up to be a community of commitment? As the worship team leads, I just want to invite all of us to stand. 
I just sense perhaps there are some of us here who who you are struggling yourselves and you're saying the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. struggling yourselves and you're saying there is a part of me that wants to get involved but I am hesitating I just sense the Lord saying it's not about your strength it's not about what you think you can do it's not about who you are or who you think you are It's about what I desire to do, what the Lord desires to do in your life. It's not about your strength, but it is about your surrender. I just want to invite us into this time of surrender now. open just between you and God if you're sensing if you are just desiring in you to surrender I want to encourage you to do that right now to just say God take over say, God, I don't know how to do it. I don't have the strength to do it. But if you are calling me, I will answer. If it helps in your response, you can just lift your hands in any way as a form of surrender, as a physical sign, as a physical decision to say, God, I am here surrendering to you. is speaking to you right now, I just want to invite you to just raise your hands in any way, but just raise it as a form of surrender to the Lord. Don't need to look around, just between you and God, just surrender to Him right now. And let's respond with this together. And if you're calling me, and I will answer I come, Jesus, I come, I surrender, and all for your glory I give my life, here in this moment I'm Team leads. 
the rest of the song, I just want to encourage us to continue in this posture. Just lift your hands to God right now. Just say, God, we surrender to you. As the team takes over. And if you're drawing me closer, if you're letting me Jesus, I come, I surrender. 
decided to surrender to you decided to give you all glory and praise Lord we are sorry for the times when we have left you behind we are sorry for the times when we have let fear come in our way but right here Lord right now we surrender to you we say Lord take over in our lives Lord hand over to Pastor Gilbert for the benediction Let us receive God's blessing. Unto God's mercy and protection, we commit you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.